You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. Well, hi. Like Evan said, my name is Larissa, and I'm really excited to talk tonight. Um, I have never spoken by myself before. I've always been on panels with other couples and other people, and so I'm really excited to be here and just continue this um, series on women in the Bible. Um, But this is like the part where people introduce themselves, and so I was like, what do I say? You guys already, if you've come before, you know Evan, so I'd be like, here's a picture of my family, and here's a picture of Evan. So I am actually going to do that. So um, this is a picture of Evan and I when we were 17, and everyone says, oh, so cute. Um, It's really bad and blurry because um, that was taken on a flip phone. I don't know if you guys know about those, but they folded in half and they had a really bad camera on them. So we were 17 in high school. We just started dating absolute babies. Um, So we're high school sweethearts. And then this picture is a couple years later. Um, And I have a really cringy story about this picture. So I will tell it because it's funny. Um, Evan says, great. (laughs) So um, Evan and I broke up for a minute and Um, When we were kind of getting back together, he was like, hey, my brother's getting married today. You should come to his wedding. And so the day of, I was not invited, and I went to his brother's wedding. And so that was before the wedding. Um, It was like a super small, intimate wedding. And I sat at the head table with Evan's brother, his new bride, and Evan, and me, just the four of us, um, with my ex-boyfriend and his family. So really, really awkward, but I really like that picture of us. It's cute. So um, Evan and I have been married for almost 13 years, and Evan's been um, the young adult pastor for 10 years, so it's been really fun just to um, walk alongside him as he um, does that. And so, um, yeah, tonight we're just going to continue the series on women in the Bible, and I'm going to be talking tonight about Mary Magdalene. And so two things I want to address tonight are relationships, being in relationship with Jesus, not like the love, like in love kind of relationship, just us being in relationship with Jesus. And I also want to talk about shame. So um, some of you might think you know things about Mary Magdalene. Magdalene, maybe you do. Um, But I'm just going to introduce her to you really quick. So there are like 97 different Marys in the New Testament. So she is not um, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, and she's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's Mary Magdalene, and she's usually referred to as such in the Bible. She's mentioned 12 times in the New Testament, which is more than any other woman except for Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she's mentioned in every single gospel. So she has some serious, obvious impact because um, she's just mentioned so much in the New Testament, and I think we have a lot to learn from her. Um, So this year, I read two books that mentioned Mary Magdalene, and I grew up here at Faith Chapel, and I also went K through 12 at... Um, Catholic school, and somewhere along the way, I learned that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. And this year, as I was reading these books, I learned that she was not a prostitute. And so, it turns out, if you actually read the Bible, you will learn something. And so, um, I don't know where I learned this, but I learned that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute, and she's not. She's not a prostitute. There is nowhere in Scripture that says that she's a prostitute. In fact, there's a couple places that mention something that would indicate very obviously otherwise. So um, I was just blown away that this 
rumor and this lie about Mary Magdalene had spanned centuries and generations. Like how do so many people think that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute? And even if she was a prostitute, I believe that Jesus could pull her out of that sinful lifestyle. Like being a prostitute is not too far gone from Jesus. But I was just so interested in how we got there. And so um, there's two reasons why scholars think that Mary Magdalene this rumor about Mary Magdalene being a prostitute has been so widely spread. One, it's because the previous verses where we meet her in Luke, the previous verses talk about this woman leading a sinful lifestyle. She comes with a jar of perfume, dumps it on Jesus's feet, washes his feet with her hair. And so she was probably a prostitute. And, um, those verses are attributed to Mary Magdalene for some reason. They don't know why. They literally have nothing to do with her other than the fact that they come right before the verses where we meet Mary Magdalene. And then the second reason is because people wanted to discredit her. She was very close to Jesus. She was um, with him, traveling with him, learning from him. She had um, an intimate, close, personal relationship with him, and people didn't like that because she was a woman. And so they were looking to discredit her. And so... Um, I just find that so interesting that I don't know how many of you in this room have ever heard that she's a prostitute, but I love that I learned something new just this year, the year 2023, I literally learned something I thought my whole life that she was a prostitute and she's not. So um, I want to look first at probably the most famous passage of scripture involving Mary Magdalene. Um, it's on your outlines and it's going to be on the screen and I know it's kind of long, but I think it's necessary to give context to who she is. So I'm going to read from John, and this is um, from the message. Early in the morning, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone was moved away from the entrance. She ran at once to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, gasping for breath. They took the master from the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left immediately for the tomb. They ran neck and neck. The other disciple got to the tomb first, outrunning Peter. Okay. That's obviously very important. You guys need to know that Peter is slow, okay? It's an important part of the story of Mary Magdalene. Stooping to look in, he saw the pieces of linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter arrived after him, again, LOL. Um, he entered the tomb, observed the linen cloth lying there, and the kerchief used to cover his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but separate, neatly folded by itself. Then the other disciple, the one who had gotten there first, so it was like louder for the people in the back, went into the tomb, took one look at the evidence and believed. No one yet knew from scripture that he had to rise from the dead. The disciples then went back home. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she knelt to look into the tomb and saw two angels sitting there, dressed in white, one at the head, the other at the foot of where Jesus' body had been laid. They said to her, woman, why do you weep? They took my master, she said, and I don't know where they put him. After she said this, she turned away and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to her, woman, why do you weep? Who are you looking for? She, thinking that he was the gardener, said, sir, if you took him, tell me where you put him so I can care for him. Jesus said, Mary. Turning to face him, she said in Hebrew, Rabboni, meaning teacher. Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go to my brothers and tell them I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went, telling the news to the disciples, I saw the Master. And she told them everything he said to her. So the first few times that I read this, I will admit, I was so annoyed with Mary and with 
um, the disciples because I was like, why do you not know what is going on? Why do you, why do you come to this empty tomb? Why are you not paying attention? Jesus said that he was going to die and he was going to rise again. Why are you not aware of what is going on? I was so annoyed. And then I realized that they are coming to this tomb filled with so much grief. They just watched Jesus be beaten and murdered and hung on a cross and they watched them him die and then they pierced his side and then they put his body in the tomb. Like she is so full of grief. She cannot remember what Jesus told her. And so when I realized that I could read this through a lens of grief, that this made so much more sense, that Mary's confusion made so much more sense and I had so much more compassion for the way that they reacted to Jesus not being in the tomb. So there's a couple of things that I want to look at right here. And the first is that um, all Jesus said to her was Mary. That's all he said. He just said her name. Um, And I think that this just shows that he was her teacher and he was her friend and her healer, her redeemer and her savior. And she's in a deep relationship with him. They are close. They are friends. Um, He knows her and he's known by her. And the same for her. She's known by him. So I can just imagine just in her weeping grief, she hears her name from someone she knows, and she just had to be overcome with relief and joy. And I think it's really interesting that she saw him first, and she didn't recognize him. And so it was the name, it was hearing her name that brought her recognition to Jesus. And so the intimate way that he greets her shows that they were close in relationship, and it shows that when we are close with Jesus, we know his voice, and we know um, what that sounds like. He calls us by name, and we recognize that. John 10.3 says, The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And I think being a mom, we have three kids, and being a mom has really changed my perspective of Jesus in relationship to us. And we'll be here at the church on the weekend when there's like thousands of other people around, and probably hundreds, but feels like a thousand. And my kids are running around like crazy, but we spend all day, every day together. If they just say mom, which is the name of probably like half the women in the church, I'm like my kids. That was my kids that was talking. And I can call any one of them by name and they'll hear me and they know that it's my voice that's talking to them. And that's how Jesus knows us. And then I want to look at the opposite side of that. And I want to look at Mary's response to Jesus. And when Jesus says her name, Mary's response isn't like, who are you? She isn't asking a question. She isn't confused. She knows exactly who is talking to her. And what's really interesting is her response to him, Rabboni, is original Hebrew. It's a title of respect. It's um, especially applied to spiritual instructors, and it's a really important, respectful title. And it shows, again, that they're in close relationship, that she's taught by him, and she's loved by him. Um, I think it's really interesting because women of this time were seen as inferior and they were seen as um, spectators. They were not allowed inside certain parts of the temple. They weren't allowed to touch scripture. But Jesus calling Mary Magdalene, uh, or sorry, Mary Magdalene calling Jesus Rabboni indicates that she was his student and she was learning from him. She was important to him and he was her teacher. It show, It's respectful and intimate and it shows personal relationship. And um, I just want to make sure that we don't miss, I, I personally think this is the most important part of the story, but I think the biggest thing in the story is that Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene. He didn't appear to anyone else. He appeared to her first. And I think um, one of the really cool things as a woman, I love that Jesus appeared first to a woman, but she had been with him during his ministry. It wasn't just a random woman that he just happened upon 
but he also didn't appear to the people who society said were the most important. So not the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the really tip-top religious leaders. That's not who he appeared to. He didn't appear to a group of people or the people who crucified him. He appeared to someone that he was in close relationship. And I believe that there's nothing accidental or unplanned with God. I think that this was so intentional. And the other reason why I think this is intentional, and I didn't catch this until I was studying this week, but Simon Peter and the one Jesus loved, the really fast one, um, they were just at the tomb looking for him and Jesus did not appear when they were there. Jesus waited until they left. They, it says that they went home. So they left, and then Jesus came. He came when it was just Mary. And I just love that. Jesus didn't miss them. It wasn't like classic Jesus, 15 minutes late. It wasn't poorly timed. It wasn't an accident. It was so intentional that Jesus appeared to just Mary Magdalene. And so um, I read this, and I thought this was interesting. So Evan, this is like a sermon series idea for you for the future. Um, but I think... Um, this is a really cool redemption story for women because Eve in the garden eats the apple and is deceived by the serpent and brings sin and shame into the world. And Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene and he brings redemption and salvation, deliverance into the world. So maybe is that Jesus communicating that there was redemption for all people? I don't know. I think that's so cool to like compare and contrast the two that Jesus wants us to know that women are important and women are valued. And so I don't think that we can really understand the magnitude of Jesus coming to see Mary Magdalene and um, revealing himself to her until we know who Mary Magdalene was. So I want to read from Luke where um, she is first introduced. Um, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So, um, we learn just very few, very small things about Mary Magdalene. We learn that she traveled with Jesus, she helped to support him, and that she had seven demons, seven demons come out of her. So um, she was obviously not tied to any household. She probably had lived a very solitary, very alone life, and so she was not tied to a household. She was able to travel with him, but we can see here that she had a really deep personal relationship because she was traveling with Jesus. She was witnessing his miracles. She was learning from him. He was teaching her. And um, I think that um, the seven demons, that's such a tiny little sentence. I think that's really easy to skip over and to overlook and just to not really understand the magnitude of what that means. But seven demons, that could mean seven actual demons, which feels like a lot. Uh, I feel like one would be plenty, but she could have had seven. Um, But also seven in the Bible is the number of completion. So it could just mean that she was completely under control. And either way, she was probably really suffering from emotional and physical and um, psychological trauma and distress. And in order for an exorcism to be perceived as necessary, there was a lot of trauma and distress going on there. And so um, because it doesn't say a lot of what she was going through, I just wanted to read a couple other um, recorded exorcisms just to kind of like really give us a good idea of what could have been happening. 
So I'm just going to read these quick. Um, Mark 5, 2 through 5. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And then these last three are from Matthew. So the first one says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So we can see from this, these examples that usually demon-possessed people are violent. They um, have a physical ailment, whether that is they're blind and they're mute, or they're having seizures, or um, they're angry. They are unable to be helped by human hands. So people are trying to save them and trying to fix them, and they can't. So they're bringing them to Jesus. And lastly, they're alone. They're, they don't have a community. They're living as outcasts, and they're unwanted. And so... Um, Mary Magdalene's exorcism wasn't recorded. It's not recorded what her ailment was, and it's not recorded how it was performed. And I am a huge detail person. I love details. Evan will come home with a story, and I'm like, I have nine million questions about that story because I want every single detail. But I love that her exorcism is kept private because I think that this is showing us that Jesus isn't holding our pasts or our presence over us. I think that he sees us through a different lens than the lens that we see ourselves. So when we see ourselves as broken and sinful, he is not seeing us like that. He doesn't define us by our sin and by our brokenness. And I think the most important thing that this is teaching us is that our pasts, they don't have to be hidden but they also don't get to define us. So we can show up and we can say, hey, I was a sinner and I did these things, but that is not my name anymore and that is not how you get to define me. And I think this is so evident in the fact that, in the, sorry, in the way that Jesus shows up to the resurrection. He doesn't show up to Mary and say, hey, Mary Magdalene, seven demons. He doesn't call her by her past, call her by the shame. He just calls her by her name, Mary. And so he casts out her demons. He gives her a seat at his table. And this is so evident because of her reaction to him. She has such a strong devotion to him because he literally saved her life. And I know that we throw that phrase around really flippantly. Um, Evan will bring me a coffee after a long day. And I'm like, you literally just saved my whole life. I would be dead without this gift of coffee. But think about the last time you said that. Maybe someone brought something to you that you forgot. Or maybe your life was literally saved by someone. I don't know. Think about how grateful you are to someone. You have devotion to them. You're thankful. Um, but Mary Magdalene would have had such a strong devotion to Jesus because he didn't just save her life. He saved her soul. He redeemed her and restored her and saved her. And he just brought new life to her. And so as I think about her deliverance, I came to the realization that Mary Magdalene could not have had this close, intimate relationship with Jesus if she had been living with shame from her past. And I want to clarify here that I'm not saying that being possessed by demons was her fault or that it was sinful. I think that we can sometimes carry shame for things that were done to us or things that weren't our fault. 
but we can see in Genesis that Adam and Eve had a close personal relationship with Jesus. They walked with him. They wanted to be near him. And then they sinned and then they hid because they were embarrassed and ashamed. And shame caused them to hide from God instead of running to him. They didn't run to him and say, we're so sorry, we messed up. Instead, they hid and they tried to hide that from the all-knowing God. So I think we carry shame for things that we do not have any business carrying shame for. All sin keeps us separated from God. And not only does the sin separate us from God, but then the shame perpetuates that and it hinders us from seeking relationship to God. We just want to hide when we have sin. We don't want to bring that to God or bring that to the people around us because we're embarrassed and we're ashamed. But I think that shame um, really just shows us how unworthy and how unloved we are. And it just deepens the chains of our bondage. And um, I'm in a small group right now with some of you, and we're reading this book called The Deeply Formed Life. And so the other day I went to read um, the pages I was going to read that day. And this was the very first quote on the page I was reading. Um, It's a book by Rich Velotis, and it says, Whatever we cannot name reveals our bondage to shame. And I just was like, that is so applicable to what we're not talking or what we're talking about today. That if we don't want to speak the things that are happening to us or that we've done, we are embarrassed and we are just holding on to the shame and we're being controlled by shame. And so I want to share two examples from my life. Um, these things have caused me a lot of shame. And um, I have to continually do the work to know that I'm forgiven and I am loved and that my past does not have to be hidden. Um, and the things that have happened to me or been done to me or that I have done don't have to be hidden, but they don't get to define me. Um, so the first example is something I did. When I was in college and Evan and I broke up, I decided that I wanted to party all the time. I went through this quarter life crisis and I was just partying. I was sleeping around. I was just acting awful. I stopped going to church because I was so ashamed of my actions. I was just, I couldn't handle church. I couldn't handle my Christian friends. Um, And I was like, this is really shameful. And I was told this lie by the enemy. I was told that um, no one would ever understand, that people would be really disappointed in me. People wouldn't like me. I was the only person in the whole entire world, which is crazy, um, who ever did anything bad. And I know that's like so silly to think that, but those are lies that I believed. And so I remember just being like, I will never, ever, ever tell anyone anything. I will never speak this. No one will ever know this about me. And God is really cute. And he's like, when you say never to me, that means you're going to do it. And so um, if you haven't learned that yet, I highly suggest you try it. And um, so I was like, I will never do this. And then God was like, you're going to tell people. So if you told me when I was 19 years old that I would be on stage tonight talking about this, like I probably would have dropped dead. But this is the second time that I've shared this. And um, I can tell you the weight that is lifted off me to know that I don't have to feel shame about the things that I've done. Even, I mean, that feels like a pretty big sin to me. Some of you are probably like, okay, I've done worse things. Um, So I don't know what it is that you're dealing with, but you don't have to feel shame for that. And I think um, Jesus takes away this shame, but then you get to also participate in that and live a conscious lifestyle of not holding on to the shame. Um, So the second example is more of something that like happened to me, like, or that I experienced, but um, my baby ever was born. And then six months later, COVID happened. And after ever was born, I had really traumatic couple of weeks. I almost died. Um, It was just, 
it was not a good time for me. And I woke up one morning and I realized that I was really struggling with depression and anxiety. And I was like, wait a minute, I have a really awesome husband and I have awesome kids and I love Jesus a lot. Like I should not be struggling with this. And again, I was like, I am the only person in the world who's ever been depressed or anxious, which is like these lies that we believe make absolutely no sense if we would just stop for a second and be like, that's not true. A lot of people are depressed and anxious. Like I'm not the, I cannot be the only person struggling with this. Um, But I was just in so much shame because I was like, I love Jesus. I should not be struggling with this. I should not, this is my fault and people are going to be upset with me. But again, This time I didn't take so long to share with people. And again, bringing it to the light took so much of shame's power from me. And as I was thinking about this today, I realized that both of these instances, I was more concerned about what other people would say about me or would think about me and what they might call me or say to me um, rather than the name that Jesus has already called me. I was unwilling to believe that I was beloved and forgiven and that Jesus doesn't call me by my sin anymore. But I was so concerned with what other people would think of me. And so um, I think it's just really impossible to have the kind of relationship that Mary Magdalene had with Jesus if we are burdened by shame and living in unrepentant sin. And I think we're all worthy of that. We're all in need. We've all sinned. We all fall short. So we're all in need of redemption and healing. And so tonight to close, I just want to encourage you that if you want to see at God's table, he has room for you. He's the great deliverer and he wants relationship with you and he's available. And um, so what I would love to do is I would love to pray and I would love to just read two verses over you guys. Um, Both of these verses have been really life-giving for me the past probably like 10 years. Um, I have one of these just framed in my living room because I love it so much. But um, I would just love if you guys would just Put all your things down and close your eyes. I'm going to read these over you, and then I'm going to pray for us. Okay, the first is from 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And the second is from Job 36, 16. He is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction to the comfort of your table laden with choice food. Jesus, we just want to invite you into this space just to um, remove any shame that we're feeling, just to draw us into relationship with you. So Jesus, I just pray that um, tonight would be a night of just redemption and restoration for people that... um, Everyone in this room would know that this is a safe space, that there are safe people here to talk to and to um, just lay their burdens down. Jesus, would you just help us find safe people who love us and who are willing to just carry the burdens with us and to um, remind us of your love and of your goodness. Um, Jesus, we love you. We praise you in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.